Amen. Bibles with you, please turn with me into the gospel according to Mark chapter 5. And uh, I'm going to read there. Thank you, Sister Shay and all the singers. That tremendous worship. Praise God. Jesus, I'm so glad you're my friend. I like it too. I know the author, as do you, Sister Teresa Baker, and I happen to know the duress under which that particular song was written. We sing songs and we're lifted and we're blessed by them. And sometimes we have no grasp of the strain, the pressure, the tremendous duress the author was under. But guess what? All you get is chunks of coal if you don't have any pressure. If you don't go through any strain, if you don't have any difficulty, if you never go through things that's bigger than yourself, all you have is coal. The diamond is born in the jaws of distress. It's under the severe, uh, unbearable pressure of time, of urgency, of stress. But oh my, what a beautiful thing it becomes when it withstands the urge to just disintegrate. And instead of disintegration, it becomes hardened against the elements and becomes a lasting thing of beauty for all times. I want to be that as a Christian. Amen. I like the line in that song, Brother Marty. You did it so well. There's a new day that's dawning. Thank God for new days. Thank God for new days. Praise the Lord. Well, Mark chapter 5 says, and I might just denote while we're getting ready to read, I'm happy the young people are in here. It makes me feel younger to have you in here. It makes me feel like, Man, there might be hope for an old guy like me when there's young people in here with fresh minds and brilliant ideas, new hopes and an eye on the future. And You know, you don't have nearly as much past, thank God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, as some of the old folk in here. But there isn't a young person without a past or an old person without a future, I guess. So God bless them. Chapter 5 of the book of Mark. They came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. There's a study in that. There's a sermon in that. Sometimes the people that we frame and reference, in this case, it's the Gadarenes, the people of Gadara the descendants of Gad. Gad. If you think about that name for a little bit, you get some personalities of distinction and some people of importance in the Old Testament. And yet, time, problems, life, distress, difficulty, Causes us to almost feel like 
the real enemy's Gadara. The enemy's the Gadarenes. We could just do something with those old Gadarenes. If Gadara would have a revival, it would make such a... They're not the enemy. They're not the problem. The devil's the problem. I've come today to tell you there's one problem in your life. It's not your neighbor, regardless of how difficult they've been on you. It's not your spouse, even though they may be. Well, we're not going there this morning. It's not this, that, or the other. There's one enemy. Your enemy is Satan. Your enemy is that evil one, that wicked one. Praise God. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm winning the victory in my life over my one enemy. I'm gaining new power over the devil. God bless you. You may be seated. Devin, it's good to see you, bud. I'm glad you're here. I wish. Of course, if wishes was fishes, everybody would be frying, they tell me. But I wish your port of education was close enough that you could be here with us every weekend. Boy, I would be delighted for that. In fact, I wish you was here all the time, but don't tell your dad and mother I said that because they might not be happy with me for saying that. But I'm glad you're here today. Praise God. Gadara's not really the problem in this setting. It's just a place. It's just a pinpoint. Can I have a little time to get where I'm going to preach this morning? Will you just... Work with me here. Work with me for a little bit. Work with me. Don't, don't. We all have Gadaras in our lives. Everybody's got a Gadara. And you just feel like there's devils under every rock at Gadara. But you have to understand that the field with the rocks in it will produce just as good a harvest as the one without rocks if you're willing to do a lot of work. All you got to do is dig out the stones, dig out the rocks, clear the field. The problem's not old Gad and his descendants. Oh, Gad. No, that isn't the problem. Gad's not the problem. We've got one enemy. That's the devil. I want to tell you something. Those Baptists and them Methodists and all those Catholics, they're not your problem. They are not your problem. You've got one problem. That's the devil. Oh, man. That thief cometh but to kill and to steal and to destroy. That's what he wants to do. He's your enemy. I want to tell you something. Atheists are popping out of every corner of existence. Socialism is the political political idiom that's being promoted worldwide right now as though it would work. It's never worked. It doesn't work. We're in the 21st civilization 
known to man. And in the 20 that preceded this, it was the idea and concept that everybody could, under some governed relationship, be alike, be identical, be the same, clone them out, cookie cutter them, give everybody the same amount of land, the same amount of of meal, flour, vegetables, food, give everybody the same spot, the same status in life. No uh, motivation to gain, to grow, to become. All you got to do is socialize and everything. That's killed 20 civilizations before this one and is well on the verge of destroying this civilization. You know why you go to work? One, you need a paycheck. Two, you got a wife that puts your feet in the middle of your back about five o'clock in the morning and shoves you out of the bed and says, you are going to work because we got to eat. But there's that thought of if you keep working, you're going to progress, you're going to grow, you're going to get a raise, there's going to be a new job open, there's going to be, hey, I don't know, I don't understand this mentality of do nothing, don't work, and let somebody else support me. That don't work. It's never worked. It ain't going to happen. It's not there. But I'll tell you what, when you hit the street every day and you're, you're working, you're working, you're going, you're moving forward, hey, that works. And And out of every political closet and out of every social program and out of every uh, meeting of Congress and the Senate of the United States, there comes more and more blurring of the lines of opportunity. But I got news for you. Washington's not your problem. Obama's not your problem. Everybody that's met Obama, jump up right now and raise your hand. Throw your hand up. Everybody that sat down and had a beer with him like those other folk on Fox News did. See, that's such a distant personality. We sat in coffee shops. We talked to each other about everything that's wrong that we don't agree with as though these were first-name people that we know. You don't know them. You've never met them. They're nothing but an idea that's either become your savior in your thinking or your boogeyman in your thinking. Now, come on, get honest. That's exactly what politics is. The ability to make you think that it's your savior and going to make it better for you or your boogeyman and we got to change all this. But I've come today to tell you, Washington's not your problem. Gadara's not your problem. You got one problem, and that's that old enemy, the devil, that every day when you get up, he thinks, I'm going to take you today. I'm going to get you today. I didn't get you last week or last month or yesterday, but today is my day. Oh, my. But sing it again to me, Brother Marty. I'd rather believe there's a new day that's dawning, and it could be today. Hallelujah. Thank God for new days.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, second verse says, And when he came out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, I noticed something in here, Pastor, that at least in this particular setting of the man we call possessed, I noticed something that's glaringly absent from the wording of this passage that I don't think I ever noticed before. I preach this this passage many times, and I've read this story repeatedly. But it occurs to me, the devil is an undefined subject in this story. It doesn't actually say that this man in Gadara had devils in him. We preached it. Man, he's possessed with the devil. The devil's name's Legion. Bless God, legions of devils. The scripture doesn't actually define devil into this. It says... He was full of unclean spirits. Unclean spirits. <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know if I could. I better stop right there. We better go to dinner right now. Because I've seen folk in the choir that didn't have a good spirit. There have been Sunday mornings in the Sunday school department when unclean spirits broke out. Now, I don't have specifics in mind. I mean, we can go get Sister Lisa and bring her in here. We can cross-examine her and say, have you ever had one teacher get upset at another teacher? Have you ever had students that you thought you were going to have to bring them out of the class? and set them somewhere else other than the class they're in? Have you ever had just all-out rebellion against the resources you were trying to present? I got an idea that as timid and nice and good and non-confrontational as Lisa is, she's not going to want to answer those questions real directly. But if we stay after her, we're going to come to an understanding That people are people. people. That sometimes when you got more than one person, there she is. I'm talking about you right now, Sister Lisa. Why don't you just step on out here just a second? Boy, you couldn't have picked a better time. Just come on out here right now. Stand right there. You're on the witness stand and didn't even know it. Has there ever been a Sunday where teachers might have had more trouble than at other times getting along with each other. It's all right to nod your head that way. Yeah. I told them you wouldn't be real cooperative on getting this. Has there ever been times that that one young person or another disrupted the class they were in and you thought, man, we're going to have to do something about this? It's all right to nod your head. It's okay. 
Has there ever been times that, oh, no, you're not going to answer this one at all. You're probably going to want to depart while I'm even asking you. Has there ever been times you just felt like pulling your hair and then taking both hands full of the hair to Pastor Sharon and saying, I didn't cut it. You did this to me. It may have been the way I worded it, you think? But all right, get ready for this. The kids aren't the problem. We stop getting kids, we don't have Sunday school. A teacher that has one idea that's different from another teacher's idea, that's really not the problem. Man, you stop having new ideas and you're dead in the water. Do you know all a rut is is a grave with both ends knocked out of it? When you run in the same rut all the time, you're dead whether you know it or not, and they just haven't thrown dirt on top of it. We have to have new ideas. We have to develop new methods all the time. Do you know if nobody would have ever developed new methods we'd still be cranking our windows up and down with a handle in our cars. Now, there's probably still something like that around. I don't know that for a fact, but just for the sake of it, is there anybody in here that still has a vehicle where you crank the windows up and down with a handle? Here's a few. Here's a few. You better hold on to it. That's going to be valuable someday. Man, not me, not me, I got in one of my vehicles the other day, and the window on the passenger side was down. I said to Sister Sharon, I wonder how long that window's been down, because I didn't remember rolling it down. I don't think it was a matter of how long it had been down, I think I just forgot it, to tell the truth, but... You know, if there were no new ideas ever, you know, we'd still be lighting kerosene lamps at night and candles to see by. Light bulbs didn't just happen. In fact, legend demands that 500 different experiments failed in the development of an incandescent light bulb. But Edison just kept saying... I didn't fail. I've proved another way that a light bulb won't work. But if I keep on discovering, ultimately I'll find a way it will work. I want to tell you something. Washington's not your problem. This party or that party's not your problem. Some political idiom right in the church is not the problem. Some young person that doesn't swallow all of the tradition at one time is not our problem. Kids that are a little unruly are not the problem. Teachers who have different ideas are not the problem. An old man with gray hair in the sides of his head that sounds a little wild and radical on this Sunday morning is really not your problem. Just stay with him. We've got one problem, and that's the enemy of your soul that wants you to fail. But hey, Mark's written 
from a, 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 a literature standpoint of them telling the story from the eyes of the Lord or of his disciples. Do you pick that up? It's their viewpoint of what's happening. What if the story was told through the eyes of the one with legion? What if he was writing the story? He'd tell you of the distress. He'd talk to you not of the nights that the colony was terrorized or people were frightened. He would talk to you about the emboding heaviness of his condition and the depression that drove him to the brink of suicide. Does anybody understand suicide is a real thing? It's a disease epidemic in our society. And there are probably people sitting in here right now that from time to time they think, I want to die. I don't want to live. My life's not worth going on like it is. I wish I was out of it. And I want to tell you, living or dying is not really your problem. Gadara is not your problem. The real problem is there's a spirit. There is an unclean spirit. In fact, there are many unclean spirits that have turned loose, have been turned loose out into our world. And they come to church. They dress up in, in uniform fashion. They become a part of our thinking. They hook themselves into our ideas. They condition us to a world like we've never known before. They make us passive to things that we never gave in to ever before in our life, all in the name of what they call tolerance. Tolerance. We've been told to be tolerant. We've been told to be accepting. We've been told to not be confrontational, to never be rejecting. And if we aren't careful, we completely erase the individualism of where God brought us to from where He brought us from. And in our attempt to be tolerant, we become gatherings. And then we're a part of the problem instead of a part of the solution. Hey, but I got news for you. As long as you're still standing up against everything unrighteous, everything unclean, everything inappropriate, everything undesirable, as long as you're still holding up the banner of righteousness by your life's testimony, there's hope. As long as there's a young person that says, I'd rather be a Christian than anything I know. As long as there's a family that says, we're going to pray before we eat. We're going to pray before we go to school. We're going to have particular moral values that are the foundation of our home and of our life. As long as there are men that are still working and women that are still working and families that are still headed toward a, a, a progressing and a, and a developing mentality of I can be better, I can do more, and at the very core of our existence is God. There it is. All you got to do to lose out in our world is take God out of your core values. Take faith out of the fulfillment of your life. Take Christ out of the core of your existence. And you become nothing more than a howling maniac screaming at the moon, hollering at the clouds, racing through the cemeteries of life. Oh, there are many dead areas. There are many cemeteries as though it were in life 
that those who have lost their way, lost their grip, lost their feel, lost their hope, howl in, scream at, panic through. Hey, but God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You have the power of God resident in your heart and in your life to overcome everything the world throws at you, everything the enemy throws at you, everything the devil throws at you. And just in case you don't understand it, some things are not the devil and some things are not even God. Some things are life and you have a power in you to overcome everything life throws at you. The stuff that just happens. What you have to understand is you can't ever get bottlenecked down to blaming it on something that's not really what's causing it. It's not Gadara. It's not the gathering. It's your enemy. It's that unclean spirit. That's that unwritten. He's not even in there. The devil's not even named in this. And yet he's at work. Now, by that very token, could I tell you, and would you receive it if I do tell you, that constantly, constantly in your life, there are demon-driven, devil-devised, Things that happen to you. They're to trip you up. They're for nothing else but to cause you to lose your grip. Amen. Do I need to go into road rage? Do I need to talk about the dangers of the parking lot of Walmart? Uh, The parking lot? My God. Do I need to talk about the dangers of trying to drive your cart through the aisles of Walmart. See, there are things in life that are just life. But they're devised. They're a part of a sinister plot to cause you to constantly be out of control. You know, all it takes for you to lose your witness is never be in control. If you live an uncontrolled life, People are not going to stand around and say, I want to be just like them. I want to be out of control all the time. I want to be constantly on the verge of imploding and exploding and blowing up. I want to constantly be right on the edge of tipping over into not being able to manage my anger and not being able... I want to be just like them. I want to throw stuff. I want to scream at people. I want to tear my hair out. And I want to I want to blame everything except what's to blame. No, that's not what you're looking to pattern after, is it? Ah. Oh. But while sin is a reproach to any people, and that's a statement that the Bible declares in a clarion fashion that cannot be denied. It precedes it precedes it by saying that while sin is a deterrent to any any people it says righteousness exalts a nation. Does anybody understand what righteousness is? Righteousness in the line item form 
in the line item form is not individual things. It's not what you wear or what you say or what you don't say or what you don't put on or where you go or where you don't go. No, in the line item fashion. Understand me, Pastor? Understand what I'm saying? I'm not violating that there are rules and regulations. I'm saying that in the line item fashion, righteousness is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list. A list. The key being a list. In line item fashion, righteousness is saying, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know what my goal is. I'm going to do the right thing when I get there. I don't know what the next generation's going to be like in the United Pentecostal Church in terms of where we're going or what happens. Look, as a saint, my God, I hope I've got liberty to go ahead and say As a saint, don't get caught up in where's our church going, what's happening to our church, what's becoming of our movement. I don't know what the United Pentecostal Church will be like, look like or act like. In the next generation. But I do know the line item of righteousness. When we get there, we're going to keep doing the right things. We're going to keep making good choices. Right choices. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you want to be... I don't know how to say this tactfully. How do I... You want to be overweight and unattractive? Don't take care of yourself. Give in to every appetite you have. Eat two pieces of pie and don't eat any vegetables. Go to extremes. Ah, there it is. Go to excess in everything you do. And I guarantee you, your life, not only will you become... You know, really how we look is what our life is. We're manifesting how our life is by how we look. People who are, are so on edge about a church that holds any kind of outward standards of appearance. Is that a good way to say that? Is there a better way to say that? That you think it is that good? People who get upset over their church having some relationship to doctrines of outward standards. It's because they don't want anybody to know how much of a Gadara their life is turned into. We don't want there to be any rules so nobody sees how much trouble I'm having. I want to tell you something. When you get your life in order, when you get your life committed, when you get righteousness as a line item and you constantly want to do the right thing all the time, you don't do some things not because they'd send you to hell, but simply because they're not right for that moment. Uh-huh. Now, I don't want to get into an argument of whether or not a bathing suit will send you to hell or not. I don't want to get into that argument because sooner or later somebody will say, well, a bathing suit's more than I wear when I get in the shower. Yeah, you're right, X-Lax. Good move. Yeah, you're right. 
But that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is that things that are inappropriate at one time might not be I'm not justifying anything. I'm just telling you that appropriate and doing right can vary from one moment to another. It might be appropriate to drive 70 mile an hour sometimes, but it is not appropriate to drive 70 mile an hour up through the school driveway. Besides that, it's dangerous. Oh, my, you're watching me now. I might not go to hell for wearing a bathing suit. There might be a time when a bathing suit would be a good thing to wear. I, You know, I'm not going to argue the merits or demerits of that. Let somebody smarter than me settle on that issue. But I can tell you one thing. I'd be out of place to have a bathing suit on right now trying to preach this sermon to you. The reason I didn't wear a bathing suit, I own a bathing suit. I, I don't know that I've ever had it on, but I own one. God Almighty, many, many, many years ago, we was going to go to Hawaii, and I said, well, I don't even have a bathing suit. So I went out and... I think the tags is still on it. And I'm pretty well sure, thinking back to when that was and now, it won't fit me. So let me just tell you this. Whether I'd go to hell or not, you wouldn't want to see me in that thing. Oh, no. No. In fact, I'll go beyond that. That's way too much information. In fact, I wouldn't want to see me in that thing. Would I go to hell for putting it on? That's not the discussion. We're talking about a line item of righteousness. Don't make Gadara the problem when the problem is the devil. That's exactly right. We get sidetracked on issues that are not the issue. Man, if it's written from the, the man's standpoint, I've been sick. I've had difficulty. I've not been able to overcome. I, I, my, my life is just, it's at the bottom. I've crashed and I'm burning. I can't seem to get any, I've screamed out my problem. I've even howled at the moon to try to get people to help me. But all I've done is turn people off. All I've done is pushed people away. Nobody wants to be around me. Nobody wants to be with me. Nobody wants to listen to me. I'm alone. I'm anxious. I'm having anxiety difficulty. I am a sick man. And yet nobody hears me. Nobody knows. You know where it started? It started with making something the problem that wasn't a problem. I'll tell you what the problem is in our lives. When we don't serve God, that's the problem. When we don't make a commitment... I'm going to be His and He's going to be mine. That's the problem. problem. Oh God, there's one problem and one only in this church. And that is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like Him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, I only long to be like Him. 
I've got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's not even the devil. It's at your doorstep. It's not a matter of waiting on God. He's already moved. It's at your doorstep. I choose to be a Christian. How about you? I choose to be like Him. I have made my choice that whatever the world may do, I'll take Jesus for mine. Glory. Now, in Genesis, there's the story of a big boat and of God directing a man's life to build it and to gather animals and prepare for an entire revolution of the evolution. The world's changing. And the only way you're going to survive is save your family and save the animals. Well, now, to me, and that's become of such major interest that even in the critics of Hollywood, even in the literary specialists of review and of critic and of arts and entertainment, they are determining that right now, right now, as I stand here, this year, 2014, is in arts and entertainment the year of the Bible. It's the year of the Bible. The major motion pictures are about Bible things about Joseph and about Noah and about the beginnings. And they're taking a long look again at the theory of evolution and the theory of the Big Bang and creationism and, and minds are opening and people are thinking because they've watched sunrises and they've watched sunsets and they've watched life's a natural resources unfold. They're saying there has to be a God in all of this. Do you understand where I'm going? Yes, it's a rough world. Yes, evil abounds. Yes, out here in our everyday life, there's everything to get us distracted. But there's never been a better day to be a brighter light. There's never been a greater opportunity for you, for me, for this church to be a testimony in this community than right now because people are realizing sin's not where it's at. It's only for a season and then it's disaster. They're understanding society doesn't have its own answers. Government has not supplied it for me. And I'm standing here telling you, don't get distracted. It's true. That's not where the answers are. But that's not the source of the problem either. The source of the problem is if the light goes out in the house of God, if the candles don't keep burning evening till morning, evening till morning, let me say it right out. Instead of under the, the, the shadow of the law, let me tell you, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. Hey, it's time for somebody to jump up in a dark world and let their light so shine. It's time for us to do more than preach it at church, sing it to the choir, preach it to the platform, 
It's time to put your life of righteousness on every morning, not as a cloak, but as a personality. Not just as a raiment, but as a real attitude. And wherever you go, you are an epistle seen and read of men because you understand that you've located the problem. And the problem's not your neighbor. Your problem's not your brother. Your problem's not the laws or regulations of the church. The problem is there's a real devil that wants you to do inappropriate things. Amen. From the viewpoint of the man in the tomb, You know what he's going to say about this chapter? I'll never forget the day. I'll never forget the day when my ship came in. I'll never forget the day. It wasn't the only ship he'd ever seen. It wasn't the only morning he'd ever faced. It wasn't the end of a long dark night that was full of terror and problem unlike any others. But I want to tell you, on that ship, there was a Savior. On that boat, there was a Master. The Master of the wind was on that boat. The Peace Speaker was on that boat. The one who's able to right the wrongs and straighten out every crooked path and Make every low place flat and bring every mountain that's unclimbable down to where it's accessible. And bring every deep valley up where you can walk it like a flat plain. Hey, I'm here to tell you, that same Master, that same Lord, that same Jesus is in this room right now. He's here, folks. He's here, folks. Jesus, I'm so glad... You're my friend. He's here. He's with us. And since He's here, and since He's with us, why don't we focus our minds for the next few minutes on the one thing that really matters is touching Jesus. Touching Jesus. Why don't you stop blaming things that are not really the problem? Why don't you stop alluding to facts that really are not facts at all. They're only details that vary. And why don't you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in the face of the one that's able to make a difference in, the, in your life and in mine. Bow your heads with me right now. Turn your attention to what counts and what matters. Since verse 5 says, And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Since verse 5 says that, then I can tell you by the same token, the always denotes that it can go on the way it is. It can continue the way it's been. You can walk out of here this morning because you're a free moral agent and be no different than you were when you came. You can go on in a life of misery. You can continue in an unaltered lifestyle 
uh, of debauchery and be unhappy and make everybody you come in contact with unhappy and constantly be on the very brink of all-out combat with everybody you meet or you can say, just because it's always been this way doesn't mean I have to continue living inappropriately. Just because my past decrees what it does doesn't mean my future is held hostage to my past. Right now, I'm turning to Jesus, fresh and new. You know what I think as a church I need to be a part of as a Christian? You know what I think I need to do? I think I need a morning like this morning when I stop making things a problem that are not the problem. When I stop blaming all those people that won't live right and all those ones that didn't get up and come this morning. And, huh, I saw people go out to the bathroom, Pastor, when it was time for the offering. That's what the problem is. If we could get more people to give or more people to come or more people to be a part of this, if, if we could just... just transfer the responsibility somewhere. But you know what I think I need to be a part of? I think I need to be a part of a real refreshing. Hallelujah. I need to be a part of a real refreshing where my soul gets refreshed. Acts said, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come, from the presence of the Lord. My God, I feel it in this service. There's a refreshing that wants to sweep through here. There's an individual and personal renewal and revival that wants to sweep through here. And, and it's your right, it's your volition to say, no, I want to go to lunch. I'm done. I've had enough. It's time for me to go out into the afternoon. Yes, that's your right and you can make that choice. But hey, the problem is not the hour. The problem is not the length of the service. The problem is not the, abs uh, the absence of an invitation at this very moment. The problem is no commitment, no choice, no decision. Why don't we change that by coming to a decision right now? I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to be refreshed in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be stirred by a spirit of renewal. I'm going to make a change today in my life. The things that's hanging on me like baggage, I'm going to cut it loose. The weights that would so easily beset me, I'm cutting them off. I'm going to run this Christian race with patience that's set before me. I'm not going to make the things that aren't the problem the problem. I'm going to make Jesus my opportunity. And if I do that, life's going to get better. Stand with me. Life's going to get better. Life's going to get better. Today's the day my ship came in. Today's the day that the animals came down the trail and got on the ship. But a ship full of animals two by two or five by five, depending on whether they were clean animals or unclean animals. 
See, there's a unique thing there, Pastor. Even things that weren't really clean were spared. There's a difference in sparing something and condoning. There's a difference in sparing it. Hey, it would be disaster if you were to launch in right now and start revolutionizing your life so much that you're not even recognizable by those around you. But I'll tell you what will work. Turn to Jesus and say, My ship came in. And the only thing on my ship is not going to be animals. I'm going to be on that ship too. Come on, Miss Noah. You're going to be on that ship also. Aren't you glad you're going to get Miss Noah on that? I don't even know her name. Do you know her name? I don't think the Bible even tells her. But the ship's not complete if she's not on it. The church is not complete if she's not on it, if she's not a part of it. Now, I hope this has weight. I hope this has bearing. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to go to heaven. And I believe he's coming very soon. I don't know how to say this other than just say it. I don't leave my family, my kids, my grandkids, my loved ones. I don't want to leave them off the ship. Is Shem everything Noah was? No! Is ham as good as Noah was? I'm not talking about pork right now. Some of y'all have got ham on the brain this very minute. Hurry up and get done. That ham dinner's waiting on me. No, I'm talking about Japheth. Japheth wasn't perfect. But did you know the New Testament says... That the boat was about saving eight souls. Do you know what this ship's got to be to you that we call the church? It's got to be a salvation station. Hello? This has got to become your salvation station. I've got to make it. I've got to get there. I've got to get on. But don't leave your kids. Don't leave your family. Don't sacrifice your loved ones. Don't be satisfied to say, I'm going to heaven. Boy, this is crude. And I, I guess the CD's still running. I'm going to heaven and to hell with the rest. Don't have that attitude. Say, I don't want to leave one of my loved ones behind. The problem's not 
These young people with their strange attitudes and their strange customs, and they dress funny. No, I got news for you. When I was a teenager, we had our customs that older folk thought was strange. And we dressed funny. Brother Macmillan, I haven't seen any of those late 50s and early 60s pants that boys had that had a colored stripe up the side of them lately. But sooner or later, they'll come back. I sure thought they were sharp in the day when they were there. Man, and the old folks would say, I don't know what these kids are going to And I listened to Rick Nelson and Elvis Presley and, and Dion and Bobby Darren and Chubby Checker. And they said, I don't know what these kids are coming to. They're going to hell in the handbasket, but guess what? The problem wasn't Chubby Checker. The problem wasn't. The problem was we got to have services on Sunday nights where the altar is a place that you can't stay out of. You don't want to avoid it. Oh, God, Pastor, hurry up and give an altar call. Pastor, I'm at a loss to make it live beyond that point. I want to tell you something. Everything's not a matter of heaven or hell. There's a line item of righteousness where you stop making things the problem that are not the problem. And you just simply say, in every situation, I made up my mind I want to do the right thing. I want to do it not because it's the law, not even because it's the gospel, but because it's right. I don't want to do the wrong thing. Have I got any takers? Is there anybody that would leave the pew where you're standing and find a place of faith and fellowship with Christ to say, help me to do the right thing. My ships come in. Jesus is on the ship. I could go on with what's always been the always. But I know what's on that ship will change my life. And so I'm going to go dashing down the beach to meet Jesus. i got to meet Jesus. Is there anybody coming to meet Jesus? On a Sunday morning like this March 23rd day of 2014. I've got to make it to Jesus. I've got